1: October 16th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition.
2: is one of everybody's favorites. Melissa McCarthy is here, everybody! So exciting! She's getting Oscar buzz for her new movie called Can You Ever Forgive Me? So we'll be talking about that. But first, let's catch up on some of today's headlines. Climate change. Sometimes it feels so hopeless, all you want to do is get drunk and forget about it. Well, sadly, that won't be an option because of climate change.
3: USA Today reports on a study that says global warming could threaten the world's beer supply. Researchers from UC Irvine and other institutions say the production of barley is likely to drop substantially because of droughts and extreme heat. Barley is a key ingredient in beer. That means average beer prices, get this, could double.
2: Oh man, they're trying so hard to get people to care about climate change. Right? (laughs) No, because if you tell Americans in 10 years the Marshall Islands will be underwater, no one cares, but tell them Corona will cost more. Now they're marching in the streets. Come on! (laughs) In fact, all those anti-environmental laws Trump is trying to pass, let's see how his new Supreme Court justice feels about that now, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, what double the price? (laughs)
0: Double the price?
2: And I'm I'm not gonna lie, I like this new approach. I think climate change is so big that what scientists need to do is they should find out things that people really care about, you know? So like, you should go like, rising temperatures are gonna block Wi-Fi signals, right? (laughs) Or you go like, oh, rising temperatures are gonna make men's erections softer. (laughs) Yeah, every man will go solar real quick. We'll be like, yeah, no more coal, no more coal. In other news, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I'm crazy about budgets, yeah. If you uh, find me at a party, best believe we're talking federal expenditures for that fiscal year, which is probably why you won't find me at a party. So uh, you know I was turned when I heard today's
3: news the federal budget deficit hit its highest level in six years in the 2018 fiscal year when it surged to 779 billion dollars now that's a 113 billion dollar increase from the previous 12 months lower federal tax revenue and higher government spending under president trump contributed to the budget shortfall the treasury department expects the deficit to top one trillion dollars in the 2019 fiscal year.
1: Yeah!
3: We did it!
2: They said it couldn't be done, but we did it! A trillion dollar deficit. This is what happens when you open a check cashing place in the capital, that's what happens. Like America's in so much debt at this point, I'm waiting for China to pull up and just tow one of the states away. Just gonna be like, yeah, you didn't pay, we're repoing this, man. But this is seriously bad news for Trump and the government they're gonna have to come up with ways to fix their finances. Like, uh, instead of a wall, they can only afford to put an ADT sign at the border. (laughs) All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our main story. Saudi Arabia. For years, they've been known as the super conservative country where women can't drive, gay people get flogged, and thieves have their hands chopped off. Now, for the thieves, uh, they can't say they weren't warned. I mean, Saudi Arabia literally has a sword on their flag, so you know. Yeah, they're owning that shit. It would be like if the NFL made its logo a sad brain, you know? You... Yeah, in a way, you'd kind of respect them for their honesty. But last year, Saudi Arabia got a new leader, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS for short. Many people were hoping that he would transform Saudi Arabia into a more progressive nation. And on the surface, it seemed like Saudi Arabia was changing, but then this happened.
1: Now to the mysterious disappearance that has prompted an outcry around the world. This is the last time Saudi journalist and
0: Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi was seen alive, entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last week. What happened next is a mystery. Khashoggi, a vocal critic of Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, told the BBC three days before he went missing, he knew he'd made powerful enemies.
2: So... A Washington Post journalist known for criticizing the Saudi government was seen entering the Saudi consulate and then he was never ever seen again. Now, I'm not a detective, but come on. (laughs) Yeah, and even though it seems pretty obvious to everyone what happened here, the Saudi government claimed that Khashoggi left its consulate in one piece, right? But then they say he left through the back door and there's no footage of him leaving because their cameras don't store footage which sounds like a crazy excuse to me because what kind of security cameras don't store footage? It's just like, well, you see, our system was designed by Snapchat. Yes, uh, the picture goes away very quickly. Not useful, but the puppy filter, adorable. Adorable, really wonderful. So according to the Saudi government, this journalist is not dead. He's just hanging out in Malaysia with Tupac. But the Turkish government, the Turkish government has come
0: out and they're calling BS. Uh, Turkish officials are now painting a very grisly plot. They say that 15 assassins, effectively, uh, Saudi officials arrived on two chartered planes. They killed him within two hours of his arrival. They took the body out in a convoy of vehicles, including a black van.
2: Holy shit, 15 assassins, private planes, and a black van. Like, this doesn't sound like real life. It sounds like the opening of a James Bond movie, you know? Like, all that's missing is Idris Elba chasing them in a helicopter. (laughs) And yes, I just said Idris Elba will be the next James Bond. If you say it, it will happen, people. It's called The Secret. It's called The Secret. So, so it's looking more and more like Saudi Arabia had Khashoggi killed. And uh, this isn't just a big deal for Turkey and Saudi Arabia. This is an American problem, too, because Khashoggi is an American resident who writes for The Washington Post. And it would be hard for America to continue being allies with a country that assassinates journalists. So President Trump was asked to step in and get to the bottom of what happened.
0: I just spoke with the king of Saudi Arabia who denies any knowledge of what took place. The king firmly denied any knowledge of it. He didn't really know. Maybe... I don't wanna get into his mind, but it sounded to me like maybe these could have been rogue killers. Who knows? We're gonna try getting to the bottom of it very soon, but his was a flat denial. Wait, what? (laughs) Did
2: you just say it could be rogue killers? Like, how does Trump always find a way to introduce random suspects into the most obvious crimes? Because you realize he does this every time, right? Like, now they're like, is the Saudis in the car, he's like, maybe it's rogue killers. Before it was, like, Russia, and he's like, maybe it was Russia, or maybe the hacking was a 400-pound guy in a basement. (laughs) Like, I would hate to play Clue with Trump. It would be so frustrating. He'd be like, could have been Colonel Mustard, or maybe it was the shoe from Monopoly, folks. We don't know. (laughs) Nobody knows. Either way, case closed. (laughs) And one of the reasons President Trump might be so eager to believe the Saudi Arabians is because they've promised him that they'll buy over $100 billion in US weapons. So this is a relationship both sides want to maintain, which is why Saudi Arabia is preparing to release their latest excuse.
3: Saudi Arabia is getting ready to change its story about the disappearance of a Washington Post columnist in Turkey. The Saudis are now willing to say that Khashoggi was captured inside their consulate in Istanbul and then died during his interrogation. Saudi leaders are preparing to admit to the accidental killing of Jamal Khashoggi, despite denying that they harmed him or even knew of his whereabouts since his disappearance.
2: Okay, now I don't know whether to be horrified or impressed. Because this is diabolical. The Saudi government is testing their excuse before officially using it? That's something I've never seen in my life. They're like, we never saw this man. But what would you say if we said we did see him? (laughs) But we killed him by mistake, huh? Well, then you would be punished. Well, in that case, we never saw him. (laughs) For more on Saudi Arabia's evolving story, we turn to our own Michael Costa, everybody. (laughs) Michael. Uh, I'm sorry, man. Every day, every day, this story gets more and more confusing.
0: Yeah, well, maybe for you, Trevor, but I'm a bit of an expert on Saudi Arabia. See, I saw two-thirds of Aladdin on Broadway. (laughs) Then the asshole Usher asked me if I had a ticket. But the point, Trevor, is people shouldn't be offended that Saudi Arabia is testing their excuse. Americans should be honored. Oh, but, but why, Michael? I mean, if, if they're testing excuses, mm-hmm. it clearly means that they're lying. <laughs> Trevor, countries lie to us all the time. You really think there's a Finland? Grow up, okay? <laughs> so many countries lie to us, but Saudi Arabia respects us enough to find a lie that works for both of us. It's fibbed for our pleasure, if you will. Okay, but, but why would America want to believe a story if it's obviously a lie? Because that way it saves our relationship. I mean, if we found out that our Middle Eastern bestie murdered a journalist, we might have to stop selling them billions of dollars in arms. But if we both decide to agree that he fell in a volcano inside the consulate, well then, (laughs) Bring your punch card, Saudi Arabia, because it's buy nine missiles, get the tenth one free. No, Michael, look, I don't know if
2: I agree. Uh, No matter how good a lie sounds, I don't think people can accept it when they know it's a lie.
0: Do you really think this can work? Oh, oh, it works, Trevor. I've already started using it. Like last week, and I told my nephew I would take him fishing, but I never showed up. Now, obviously, I'm not gonna tell him I spent our fishing Sunday getting tested for HPV. Positive, by the way. So instead of coming up with my own lie, I went the Saudi way and I let him pick my lie. I said, Billy, I'm considering telling you that my asshole boss is making me work weekends, or I'm considering telling you that I died. Do any of these work, Billy? And that made Billy feel more respected? Yes, I I think. The important thing is (laughs) he stopped calling me. Michael Costa, everyone. Uh, We'll be right back.
1: (laughs) Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission
2: Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an Oscar-nominated, Emmy Award-winning actor and comedian who is starring in the new film, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Please welcome Melissa McCarthy.
4: I've never done this before. Yes. Every single
2: time I see you, there is a joy that fills my body that I cannot (laughs) control. Thank you so much for being on the show. Wow, thanks. This is is really exciting for so many reasons. One, because everybody loves you. You're one of the funniest human beings (gasps) in existence. (laughs) And genuinely this film that you are in is getting oscar buzz and i think for all the right reasons like you are phenomenal in this movie and you're oh, playing a character you. you've never played before
4: no i'm playing uh lee israel is the main character she uh is a real person or was a real person she's a difficult prickly um challenging writer who suddenly was told she was obsolete and was no longer allowed to write kind of got backed in, backed into a corner and started forging and impersonating um, literary letters of, like, just greats of Dorothy Parker, Donald right. Coward, and then was caught by the FBI. <laughs> so, no, it's, a, it's the first time with her, but I really kind of loved her. That, that's an and, interesting idea, because
2: when you watch this character and when you watch this movie, I w- the whole movie I was waiting to like her. I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm gonna like her. It's Mrs. McCarthy. I'm gonna like this character. <laughs> and then I was like, I kind of hate her. Oh! And, then, and then, I, then, I, then, I, then it started changing again. Then I was like, no, she's hustling. Like it was a really different role to see a person play because it's set yeah. in New York and she's trying to make ends meet and she starts defrauding people really by selling forged letters but you really
4: good forged letters.
2: Right, great forged letters. Yeah, really great. Ones. But like it's it's weird to play somebody who's not likable and yet liked by some.
4: I know. Well, I felt I had the same feeling because about a quarter of the way into the first time I read the script I was like I kind of like her a lot.
3: What did you like about and then,
4: her? But then I thought about it, and it literally made me stop reading it for a second, and I was like, well, why? And I couldn't figure out. There's nothing tangible she had done to make me like her. She's, she was difficult. Like, every story about her right. involves, like, oh, and then Lee was Lee, and made it, <laughs> made it terrible for all of us, and then she'd say something, you know, witty and sarcastic and walk away, and, like, somehow people were, a very small amount of people, but we're friends with her. But I don't know. I think it was just... The thought of, these are her defense mechanisms, and what does everybody do to kind of protect themselves? Right. It was not in her best interest. I mean, we had a, uh, one of our producers, Ann Carey, always tells a story that, um, you know, she spent 10 years trying to take Lee's memoir, which is the film's based on to a film, and that she would meet her out for dinner. Lee was always there early. And then it wouldn't be until dinner was over, Lee would get up, walk away really quickly, and then she'd realized that she'd been sitting there for a while having quite a few drinks, putting it on her bill. And when dinner was over, she was like, bye, and like took (laughs) off, which is terrible, but then you kind of, you're kind of like, it's great. I don't know, (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but I'm like, oh, I kind of love her. I think it
2: says that you are a grifter. That's what it says. (laughs) Yes. Deep down inside you, there is a Nigerian prince. That's what it means. That's what it means. You'll
4: all be getting my letters and emails soon.
2: Well but, but you know what I, I found interesting in the story, and maybe it was just me. I found myself watching a story about a woman who was working through a really hard time it's It's set in New York yeah. in the 1990s, and it's really beautifully like completely set in New york and you have this 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 woman who is described by many people as prickly yeah. or or you know like hard or. But when you see, like, a lot of male characters play the same kind of thing, people will just be like, oh, driven, or, like, oh, you know... Like, oh, exactly. he won't back down. Exactly, he won't back down. His
4: convictions. Right. And then she was just like, oh, she's unbearable. I'm like, well, I think, I think there's a... You know, I think that happens all the time. Right. I mean, it's almost cliche that it's, it's like so many people still kind of make that reference of, like, why would you want to play someone unlikable? I'm like because we're all unlikable at times. I mean, everybody, I think all the people you love, you love because of their weird eccentricities right. and their quirks and their tics, and we all have them. So to try to play someone without all of those things, I wouldn't know how to do it. It's, it's a beautifully moving film, and it's great to see you playing yeah. it. I know
2: you're doing more dramatic roles now, and uh, I hope you don't stop comedies, because, I mean, I, that, that's, that's where I love you as well. But one thing you've done that I found really impressive is in Hollywood you have always fought. Like, you fought for yourself, you fought for what you believed in, you fought for what you believe you deserve, and rightfully so. But you, you were, like, one of the first actors who I saw come out and say, like, hey, I don't care if I'm a woman, I want my money.
1: <laughs>
2: and <laughs> you have, though. Unashamedly and deservingly. And you are now one of the top-earning actors in Hollywood because of that. Like, you, why was that... I mean, other than the money itself. <laughs> other than the money itself, why was that so important?
4: I think it's. I mean, I, I. I don't know. My husband always says, like, fists of justice. I just. <laughs> I think if everybody's getting two dollars and everybody's getting the same types of parts and everybody's, I, I don't think that people can't have different things. But I just think if you're doing, if you're doing the same work, right, there should be the same. You know, there should be the same, work and benefit to everything. Just as I, used to read things all the time and just wonder, where's the part. Where's the part? Like, why is the guy so interesting? Why is the guy so flawed and complicated? And then why is the woman just going, John? <laughs> John, <laughs> Tom, Sam. These are like, here's, here's like six years of auditions for me. Bob. Bill, Tom. And I just, I was like, I was like, I'm not skilled enough to just keep saying people's names in a, in a kind of bored, uh, over it fashion. I but was you like, do it really well, well I'm not gonna I... lie.
2: Like I, like, I would hire you right now. I'm like, if this you were is... saying, I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna hire you.
4: This is really just a plug for my new show, John, Jim, and Bill Tom. <laughs> Love it. It's just—it's
2: that—that was the whole show, really. Right, but 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 you really—you've really been all about that—is like growing the roles. I mean, you
4: you you're somebody you have to who's ask not... for what you want,
2: right? And you started creating what you want as well, which I which I've really appreciated as well because you're you're part of creating the movies, writing the movies with your husband. It's it, the is there fun a... of
4: it, right? For me, it's the—I mean, it's the fun of it, and the the really great thing was that we ended up we one we can work together. I mean, I met my husband Ben at the Groundlings Theater in LA, and we met writing and performing, and that's. Why I kind of grew to be crazed, kind of. I shouldn't have qualified it with. I kind of like him. Um, <laughs> um, I like you a lot, honey. <laughs> that was the one time I couldn't find the camera. It still seems insincere. <laughs> um, no, it's like, you know, that's how we met. And that was like the joy of it. And doing it ourselves, like, I want to be part of all of it. I want, I want the workload from it. I want the fun of it. I want the challenge. I want the nerves. I want everything. I think the whole thing is uh, is is part of the joy of what, you know, we get to do.
2: Right. It truly was a joy watching you in this film as well. Um, if somebody goes into the film and they're expecting to see the Melissa McCarthy that they know from everywhere else and, th- and then they see you in this, what's the one thing you'd want them to take away from your character? You know, because there's, there's like you said, there's so many layers to people that we don't yeah. know. There's so many shells that people have. What is the one thing you hope people don't miss about your character?
4: Well, I, I think I took away quite a bit from Lee, and, and for me at least, and I hope other people get this, is to like look up and actually see people. I think there's so many people that we pass and that almost become invisible to us and everybody at some point needs to be seen. If, even if it's for a second. If it's for a second on the street where you actually can make eye contact with someone right. and that person feels like I am here, someone saw me, that will snowball and then they'll look at somebody else. And, we tend to all be so concentrated on our phones and devices that I'm not. I'm a, a dinosaur that, like, I can't... I don't email. I, I don't do any of that, which uh, frustrates many people. Right. And but dinosaurs I, are
2: always I, looking at people when you watch the movies, actually. true, guys. It.
4: They were <laughs> look Dinosaurs look up. But since I'm not on my device... Right. I usually am sitting in a room watching people all do this, and no one's looking at each other. I'm like, oh, my God, you have to connect with people, and... Lee made me very much realize, like how lonely and isolated she was. And when she meets Jack, played by Richard E. Grant, who's tremendous in the film, they're very unlikely friends. But right. they, they both just needed somebody to see to see them. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you. And good luck with Oscar. I'm excited for it. Can you ever forgive me? Can be seen in New York and LA October 19th and opens nationwide in the coming weeks. Melissa McCarthy, everybody. Oh